The ambassador model, I think, is transformative in the service that we provide to patients. It gives a patient that one-on-one -on -one experience, somebody who starts to learn you very quickly and your preferences. They are the front line of what we do and the face of what we do on the patient services side. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Let's Talk Solutions, Candid Conversations with Healthcare Leaders. I'm Amy Fritzer. And I'm John Amos. And uh, this week we've got a really great guest um, joining us um, in Dirk Notaboom. And we're gonna discuss with him um, just kind of what, what all goes into food service at a hospital, uh, specifically the patient ambassador program and how that brings kind of a restaurant resort style service experience to patients. Um, and just kind of the background that he's had in 30 years in healthcare and the evolution of that. And um, it's just a really exciting conversation and we're really glad, glad that he joined us. Yep, so welcome Dirk, thanks for joining us and let's go ahead and get started. Okay, well, thanks so much for joining us today, Dirk. We really appreciate it. And just to kind of kick things off and first things first, could you just tell us a little bit about your background and expertise and how you got into the food nutrition services side of healthcare? Yeah, sure. I started in this business back in 1987 um, by getting into dietetics at school. I had really gone to college to become a biomedical engineer. I didn't like that. Went into accounting. I liked that even less and uh, and got into dietetics. I was into nutrition and fitness and stuff like that. And actually through a fluke of the phone systems, um, I had asked my mom to call around hospitals in Memphis, Tennessee, where they had just moved to, to see if they had a summer internship program that I could get some experience in dietetics and understand a little bit more about it in real world application. And again, through the fluke of the phone system, she ended up talking to Keith O'Neill directly, which that never huh. happened in, in, in this hospital. Um, and Keith said, what? A male dietitian? Absolutely. Send him down. I have a job for him. And uh, the rest is kind of history. That's how I got into dietetics and management of food and nutrition services and, uh, and kind of grew from there into the role I'm at today. Wow. So you knew Keith all the way back then, huh? Yeah. Wow. Uh, I've known Keith for 35 years. <laughs> wow. Small world. Yes. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. So that was, that was fun. And, and of course I did a couple of internships for Keith. And when I graduated from college, um, went to work for Baptist hospital that Keith was running at the time. And shortly thereafter he formed his own company and, and left that role. And I joined him in, in his new venture and, uh, the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> That's awesome. So as someone who's been kind of in the field for a long time um, as a registered dietitian, but also now, you know, a leader and executive, um, you know, obviously going back uh, for over 30 years, can you kind of walk us through um, just how it's changed and the evolution, especially of just, you know, how food is presented and delivered, you know, to patients? Yeah. When I first started, it, it was very different than food services today. Uh, when I started, directors and managers really didn't go visit patients. We didn't really have patient satisfaction uh, in the form it is today. If you didn't get a complaint, you were crushing it, uh, was kind of the, the rule of the day. Um, and that started changing in the early 1990s as Joint Commission and as CMS started putting quality measures in place regarding almost every aspect of the hospital experience, including food. And so we had a lot of very extensive training with the Studer Group and 
Gallup and Presgany and all sorts of survey tools to understand that we needed to get up on the floors, we needed to talk to patients, we needed to really uh, market ourselves to patients, nursing staff, and everybody in the community as a, a very high-end uh, food service operation organization. And through that, there's been a lot of trips and stumbles and falls in terms of what works and what doesn't work and, um, and getting to the point of more customized service, bedside service, if you will, for example, with our ambassadors. In the past, uh, patients would fill out a paper menu or maybe not get a menu at all. They'd get served and, and the host or hostess, the ambassador was in and out of the room and, and really didn't have a whole lot of interaction. Today, that's changed, and it's more of a full-service type of an operation where we're up taking menu orders at the bedside, either manually or through a a computer application, an app. And um, we follow up then with the service delivery of the the meal. We pick the meal up and have interaction with the patient then, and uh, we come back and take the next meal's order. So... It's, it's pretty labor intensive, but we get immediate feedback and, uh, and we track that on a, a meal by meal basis, more or less. So you mentioned that a lot of that change came kind of like through regulatory bodies, but was that the main driver of the change or, or what kind of sparked that shift? Yeah, I, I think the, the main driver of that was twofold. Part of it was regulatory as, as, the government went to what they call diagnostic related groups or DRGs to reimburse hospitals for services. Subsequently, insurance companies went that route as well. And so they, they put a great deal of emphasis on quality. Um, and by way of example, you know, back in the 70s, the doctor may have put you in a hospital for a week to get uh, rest, like a little mini vacay at a hospital resort, if you will. Um, and that ceased. The government stopped paying those kind of uh, um, bills and reimbursing hospitals for that and said, no, we need to find a better way to become more efficient and effective. And that's really what the GR- DRGs are meant to do is make healthcare very, very efficient. And if, for example, you have a hip replacement surgery, you're in and out of the hospital in a day today for a hip replacement. If that patient stays for five days, the hospital gets reimbursed for one day. So they're very motivated to get you in and get you out on time so that they can make money in the process. Subsequently, those types of issues led to quality enhancements, led to the driver of of what we have as patient satisfaction today because regulatory kind of pushed it. And then it's a competitive advantage in the marketplace if you can say our patient satisfaction score is in the 95th percentile of all hospitals. Um, We have the best food based on our patient feedback. We have great EVS. Our hospital is super clean based on the feedback of our patients. And so there are a couple of drivers, regulatory and and then market driven outcomes in terms of getting market share. So the patients, in terms of their expectation of what the food was going to be like at the hospital, what the experience with food was going to be like, was that something you discovered kind of after the fact, after these changes started happening, you started measuring, then you started realizing, oh, there's actually a lot of expectation around here. And you kind of mentioned kind of needing to tweak things and testing and failing. Yeah, I th- that's, a, that's a good question, John, because 
in the past, you know, we didn't get a lot of feedback in, in regards to food. And, and, you know, the old the old joke around hospital food being so bad and, and it was out there for years and decades. Um, and that's changed a lot. We, we offer very high quality food. We have chefs in all of our units. We have very um, trained production staffs and teams that produce the food that we deliver to patients. And it's good. I'd put our guys up against anybody. Hmm. Um, but the expectation has definitely changed. Uh, I think <clears throat> our population here in the United States is much more food savvy these days. Everybody has access to food shows, so they understand what a braise is. They understand what a light saute is. They're like, well, I got the chicken and it just wasn't sauteed properly. It, I just didn't look right. <laughs> it's like, what the heck? Okay. Um, so there, I think people have a much higher expectation when, when they're paying their dollars for service, even at a hospital. And I think the expectation is that we provide um, a solid restaurant experience to the patient, even in the hospital. And particularly on the various diets that we have, we have 14 base diets that our cooks produce every day. And then we have a myriad of other specialty diets that doctors ask us to produce or that patients may ask us to produce based on their uh, preferences or their lifestyle. And so our cooks may be producing up to 20 different meals each meal period for, yeah. for these things. And the expectation is the quality of those meals is on par with any restaurant out there um, every time. And so, yeah, I think, I think we have a much more savvy clientele. I think that the expectations are very high, um, even with them being on specific diets. Like you said, the clientele is much more savvy because these days, I mean, healthcare has become almost like a hospitality service and where people, you know, they get second and third opinions or they check out, you know, quality measures at this facility over that facility. And, you know, in many cases can determine where they go to get their care. So obviously the food is driving that decision as well. How do you, how do hospitals, I guess, market to potential patients for, for the food service? Do they do that as well? Yeah, I think, I think that Marketing of food is something that specific specialty hospitals will do. Like if you have a, um, a back and spine clinic or a surgical hospital where somebody's getting mostly knees and hips replaced, they're absolutely going to market the food experience to those patients. If you're in a um, hospital in a downtown setting that is mainly treating patients from the neighborhoods and the surrounding area, they may not be marketing food. They may be marketing that they're a, um, a trauma center or things like that based on the need of the area. So I think the marketing piece surrounding food is very specific to the type of hospital and location that it's at. Um, some hospitals don't market it at all. Uh, some hospitals are kind of low key when it comes to marketing and what they can do affordability around what they're doing and the services they provide. Safety net hospitals come to mind. They get a little bit higher reimbursement because they're the only medical facility in a, in a large area. And uh, so they're less concerned with marketing of food or some of these ancillary services and really more talking about their medical programs and, and the service lines, cardiac, lung, cancer specialties, things like that, that 
patients are looking for. And then the other piece is on the CMS website, um, and I believe the Joint Commission website as well, people can go and look at that hospital's most current ratings and scores based on patient satisfaction surveys. So they can go to any individual hospital and look up how good is their cancer care? How good is their cardiac care? What is their food service score? What does their EBS score? And so that if somebody has that level of interest in going and seeing what their medical facility is actually doing from a quality perspective based on uh, consumer feedback, they have easy access to it. And so that goes along with what we were just discussing in terms of a more educated consumer, a more savvy consumer, I think, in all aspects of healthcare delivery. So then in terms of, you know, we've obviously been talking about quality of food, but in terms of the quality of service, you mentioned, you know, we've already discussed some, the, the patient ambassador approach. Um, but that shift to having a dedicated, you know, patient ambassador who's focused on delivering great customer service, you know, what have been the, the what have the benefits been of that, that model and, and how does it differ maybe from like a resort or a hotel? Yeah, so... The ambassador model that, that we've been working with now for 10, 10 years, going on 11 years, I think is transformative in the service that we provide to patients. It gives somebody, a patient, that one-on-one -on -one experience, somebody who starts to learn you very quickly and your preferences. Um, our ambassadors work a 12-hour shift, and we do that uh, not so we're not so we're extending the ambassador's day, if you will, but we're doing it for continuity of service. So that patient sees the same individual three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And generally with a length of stay of about 3.4 days, that ambassador may be the only food representative outside of a manager that this patient sees for their stay, which is great. It provides a lot of continuity of, of care in terms of what we provide. And that patient gets to know our ambassador, that ambassador gets to know our patients and, and just provides a better level of service through ownership of that relationship. And so I, I think we've seen, you know, great results from patient satisfaction. Um, I think our ambassadors as well as our, our whole teams do just an outstanding job of delivering that care. And it's not uncommon for us to get letters or comments from patients regarding specific ambassadors and the care that they've given them. Um, our ambassadors frequently go above and beyond uh, bringing flowers or um, making small talk or cracking jokes or, or whatever the case may be. And I just think that human connection in a hospital is so, so critically important to the, to the care and the healing of the patients because you're in such a clinical atmosphere and you're having all sorts of stuff done to you that you maybe don't really understand. And you do understand food. You know, you might not know if it's prepared properly. You might not know really if it's good or not, but you certainly know whether you like it. And uh, that patient ambassador helps enhance that experience all the way around. So I, I, they are the front line of what we do in the face of what we do on the patient services side. Does that also help with... Um like service recovery. And, and I'm thinking through it. So I, I used to manage a Chick-fil-A actually. And, you know, one of the things we trained our, our team members on was, Hey, we're gonna, there's going to be times where we mess up an order and a customer comes 
and says, hey, I asked for no pickles on the sandwich and there's pickles on it. And that's actually an opportunity, you know, we train them on to actually go above and beyond and satisfy that person because we'll just give them another sandwich that's right, you know, you know, say we're sorry, give them the right thing and recover, you know, you know, that mistake and actually enhance the experience. Is that something that the patient ambassador, you know, does? And have you seen, seen that be effective? Yeah, I think I, the patient ambassador absolutely does service recovery. And, and that's part of being up there and having between nine and 12 touches a day with that patient. Um, the other piece of the service recovery is it's very easy for our managers on a, on a service recovery to go up and say, how is your ambassador? How is, how is Maggie doing today for you? And almost always, 99.9% of the time, they're going to say, oh, Maggie is fantastic. I don't know what I would do without her serving my food to me. Um, but you got a problem in the kitchen with your people plating this stuff up, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but I, on our patient satisfaction scores, the highest scores that we always get are around our people and our ambassadors. Hmm. Um, so from a service recovery standpoint, again, the ambassador is our first line of service recovery and, and managers are kind of the second piece of that service recovery. And I think, too, as you said, your training program at Chick-fil-A, you, you workshop those scenarios. We do that same thing. Actually, our ambassador training is pretty extensive. We have 13 modules that they go through, and, and it's ongoing training also with diets and things like that so that they can understand why somebody's on a specific diet, what that means to that individual patient, and, and they have ability to explain that. Um, at least on a uh, on a certain level, and then if if we need to have more description or that patient needs to really understand a lot more, we'll call in a dietitian. I was I was actually just going to ask that question if they do have any kind of you know clinician background or training in terms of should a patient ask why am I on this specific diet or why can't I have this or you know and that and it sounds like that they do. They do have pretty extensive training on the diets uh, out of the thirteen modules that we have four or five of those modules are specific to diets and diet related issues. And then on our daily huddles, we always have a, um, a diet related item on there. So we, we run through diets. We have 14 diets. We run through those diets four times a year. And so it's a cycle of, of, you know, 16 weeks, 15 weeks, or whatever the case may be that, that we do some of that training in our daily huddles as well. So then, um, kind of shifting, shifting gears here. I'm wondering if, um, you, you mentioned paper menus, um, that that used to be, or no menu at all. And then the mm -hmm. shift to using like an app, um, what, what's kind of the technology that, that we're leveraging? Is it synced up with the kitchen? Like what, what's that, what's that look like, I guess, in the role of the, the patient ambassador? Yeah. So we utilize, um, a proprietary program that's being built for us by a third-party fulcrum and and our app is called Breadbox. we've been working on it for several years and last year we started going live in units with the program and generally we can do this manually where an ambassador will enter a patient name and the diet or we can do it um auto, automatic automated uh via an hl7 line 
and we've started putting in a lot of HL7 lines. We probably have them in 20 to 25% of our accounts at this point. And that automates the whole system uh, for the ambassador. They basically get their list of patients, what diet they're on, and then, and then the program itself understands those 14 different diets and how they may overlay. And so they will give the, um, the ambassador what choices, what menu choices that patient has based on their uh, diet prescription. So it's a pretty slick program. And uh, I mentioned it's kind of an app. So that's how it's that's how it's set up on the iPad. And so our ambassadors really after about 15 or 20 minutes of training are whizzes at it. It's just so user friendly. We spend a lot of time building out the user component of it. Um, it's really easy to use and, and it's super friendly to use. So that's been a huge win for us. So if a, when you were talking about the, the patient ambassadors there and able to be next to the patient and you know, obviously knows what diet that particular patient can or cannot have. Can it be so customized when they're when they're actually ordering like at a restaurant where they'll be like, well, I'd like this salad, but I'd like the dressing on the side. Yes. Or, you know, like that um, scene of Meg Ryan and when Harry Met Sally comes to mind when she's so particular, you know, and she wants this on the side or two of this <laughs> or can I have a smaller. Can they get that particular and that they customized? Can. Yeah, they can get that particular. Uh, there are spaces in the uh, on the order sheet where they can free text so they can add patient would like this 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 um choice of dressings choice of beverages things like that so yeah it's very customizable so is is this kind of program i mean i know we run it you know at our you know our accounts here at hhs but is, is there you know is pretty much every hospital adopted this kind of program or are there still some that have nursing running this? What's kind of the industry at? Yeah. So across the country, it's kind of all over the place. Okay. So yes, there are hospitals that run non-select menus. Patients don't get a choice. The meal just shows up when it shows up. There are some that do a paper menu. There are some that do spoken menus. There are some that are automated. There are some that are manual. Most of the big players have their own proprietary system. Um, Many hospitals contract with Seaboard or Computrition uh, to bolt on one of their add-on menu programs. Uh, so there's a lot of a lot, a lot of different uh, programs out there being run today. Um, we uh, we obviously think ours is the best and the easiest. Um, you know, uh, a lot of times clients will say, "Well, I don't want you to bring in your proprietary stuff because." When you leave, then all that information goes away and we don't have access to it. Well, our situation is a little bit unique because we will allow them to keep that system and operate it, continue to operate mm -hmm. it. Um, there's a licensing fee that they, they'd they have to pay, but it, it's extremely small compared to what you pay for a Seaboard or, or a Computrition on an ongoing annualized basis. So uh, we do offer something a little bit different out there and that, that alleviates some of the fear that clients may have. Yeah. So what, what else, you know, if you're talking to an administrator and, and, you know, they, they're worried about the costs, like you just mentioned, um, or, or they're, they've got concerns about switching to this, this style. Um, what are the things that you talk them through about why it makes sense, why it's worth it? You know, what are the benefits? What are the things you're telling to an administrator about why yeah. it's worth it to go to this? So one of the things that we talk to them about is this, whether, whether you want this system or not, it's included for free to you. We don't charge clients for this program. 
Um, it, it's a it's an extremely cost effective program out there. So the benefit to them is they get the the technology and the safety associated with using the program. The program has built in, you know, allergies and and safety measures for patients that that help us just maintain and, and enhance patient safety. Um, and again, it's at no cost to the client. So uh, I, we have not really had any issues with clients saying, oh, no, don't, don't do that. We've had a couple of clients that have said, well, our, our enterprise-wide system is going to be this, but if this is no cost to us, we'd like to run it as a, as a trial. And in fact, I was just talking to a large hospital system yesterday that's bringing in computrition, but they're allowing us to trial Breadbox at one of their hospitals, and we're in the process of getting that set up right now. And once we do that, they may come take a look at it. And actually, they committed to come taking a look at it and seeing if that would work enterprise wide for them. And if it does, that may put us in a mix in a much larger and in a much larger position. So, I think technology does sell. Uh, I also think the ease of technology and 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 having a manageable cost associated with it is a huge game changer in our business. Yeah. yeah. So then um, I'm kind of curious going to the the specific, the actual patient ambassador. You said they work 12 hour shifts mm-hmm. and um, they're there for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And uh, I'm kind of curious in between those times or just a day in the life of a patient ambassador, Yeah. you know, at, they're, they're taking orders, they're getting into the kitchen, they're delivering meals, and then breakfast time is over. What does that space in between look like? Are they following up so, with patients? or Yeah, so so breakfast time is over. They go back, they pick up the trays, they bring the carts back down. Uh, depending on the size of the unit and the load of patients that the ambassador is servicing, they might help scrap trays, uh, help those trays run through the dish machine. Uh, there's always silverware to roll. Uh, but Usually after breakfast, about nine o'clock, they're back up on the floors taking lunch orders. Okay. Okay. And then they repeat the process. You know, they come back down to the kitchen. They help build the trays for their patients. Uh, They deliver those trays, make sure everything's okay, that the patient doesn't need anything additional. Um, They'll do a round. And when, when lunch is over, they will go back, pick up the trays, bring it down and start the process again. And then about 2.30 or so, they will go back up and take dinner's order and then breakfast for the next morning. Obviously, we don't want to be waking patients up at 4.30 asking them what they want for breakfast. So uh, we do uh, lunch before lunch. We do dinner before dinner. And when we take the dinner menu, we take their breakfast order for the next morning. Gotcha. Okay. And then how how important is it in terms of... um, the, you know, those 12 hour shifts and integrating with actually the nursing and the clinician team, like, is, is that a relationship that gets built so that when a patient is talking about food, nursing knows, you know, who the patient ambassador is and there's that connection there and how does that get built over time? Yeah. So that's a great question. And that's a critical component of an ambassador is building that relationship with nursing. And when you have ambassadors that are engaged and really doing a great job, nursing considers them a part of their nursing team. And when they're not on that floor, nursing will call down sometimes and say, hey, where's Maggie? Uh, she needs to be on this floor. She's our person. Um, and so that those those relationships do get built over time. And, and really, we look to hire ambassadors 
that have personality, that have a smile, that are outgoing, because we can train the actual jobs or the job task. What we can't train is that inherent um, happiness, um, the, the want and desire to serve people and, and really um, have a personality that's outgoing, smiling, friendly. Uh, we, can't, we can't really train that piece. You either kind of have that or you don't. Uh, but we can certainly train how to use the, the Breadbox application or how to build a tray or things like that. Um, and so that personality that we look for in an ambassador uh, is critical in building the nursing team relations and working with the dietitians and working with the, uh, the managers in the department. So, yeah, very, very critical. Yeah, and, I, I, and a kind of follow up on that is obviously it seems like someone have to be bubbly personality, very service oriented. And, and uh, like John had just asked about, you know, kind of integrating with the nursing staff. And because they have such a high, you know, touch point with the patients, I would imagine that a lot of them could almost become like an extension of the family almost and aiding in the patient's healing. Or if, you know, a patient's in isolation, that might be the only person that, you know, the ambassador may be the only person that the patient has interaction with. Have you have you seen that too, Dirk, just on a personal side with some of our patient ambassadors? Yeah, definitely. Um it's not unusual for, for me to get stories or, or hear instances of ambassadors, you know, doing things like helping people get groceries after they leave the hospital or things like that. that I, I think particularly if somebody's there for an extended stay, our teams get, get very close to those patients and their families, and it is kind of a bigger family. And, and you know, that goes to another point, too. We have patients that do pass away, and that, that becomes very difficult for our for our team as well. Um, while nurses are on the front lines and, and doctors are on the front lines, so are our teams. Our, our ambassadors, our, our hourly team members, our managers are all on the front line. They know these patients, and as they pass away, that's a big um, emotional blow that I think sometimes gets overlooked, but it's a, it's a reality of what we do. And... Um, and so it's very, it can be very difficult and challenging at times due, due to the closeness that, that our teams get with the patients. Um, so going forward, um, obviously it's come a long way since, you know, the last 30 years in terms of, you know, how food um, is prepared and served to patients. But going forward in the next 5, 10, the next 30 years, you know, how do you see you know, the patient side of food, you know, changing in a hospital? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question. 30 years out is such a long time, <laughs> um, especially with technology and, and medical advances and that kind of thing. Uh, we've been talking recently about, you know, with staff shortages, how can we help alleviate um, uh, some of those issues? And we've talked about, can robots serve trays and can they do this and that and the other? And the truth of the matter is, I think there are some jobs, at least in the foreseeable future, the next five to 10 years, that will always have a person there. And I think meal service is one of them, um, simply because of that interaction that needs to happen, the unique challenges and issues that each, patient's ha each patient has. Uh, Customized menus, things like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. selective menus and, and various disease states that require 
um, a little bit of finesse when you're getting an order from a patient, understanding what they need to, to help them heal. Um, so I think that probably over the next five to 10 years, our goal will be to refine our training um, to help our team better able to serve those patients and those patients' needs. Um, but another key piece of this is really getting hospitals to understand that while our department is considered entry level, um, that's not an $8 job anymore, you know, and the times are really going to have to change now and moving forward. Otherwise folks are going to choose a different career path than hospitals. Even though we provide education, we provide, um, opportunity to get degrees and, and from various institutions, um, to our team, it's going to take more than that because if our team can't survive working a 40 hour job in the hospital, uh, they're going to go somewhere else where they can, they can get paid for their, for their work. Yeah. And, and Dirk, that kind of brings up a, a thought I just had is when you're talking to an administrator, you're talking about the food service program and costs associated. How do you, obviously labor is huge, right? You can't mm-hmm. really cut labor. You need that. Um, but what are other ways that a food service department, you know, could get creative in saving on, on, is it on a food cost side is, you know, what are some ways that you've noticed or that we've even done as some of our clients, perhaps examples of how we've cut down on costs? Yeah, I think, I think that's a great question. And some of those ways absolutely revolve around food cost, getting the right product in for the right application ordering the proper product at the proper time, and then the production of those products. And what I mean by that is if we overproduce, let's say we're producing food for 100 patients, but we make enough for 150 and toss out 50 servings of everything, that's a huge food waste. Mm -hmm. If we don't produce the product right, if we get a product in and prepare it in a way that it's not meant to be prepared, then we waste a lot of food. So, so it's looking at our menus, making sure that what we have on there is solid, that we don't over menu items. And what I mean by that is we don't offer three different uh, entrees. We offer one chef special, and then we alter- offer some alternatives that are always available. Um, but those alternatives are always available in the retail space too. So it's really easy to get and, and we cross utilize. So food cost, um, proper product at the proper time and, and avoiding food waste as much as possible is one way, making sure we're ordering the right supplies. And one of our largest supplies in the kitchen is going to be paper products, whether that's disposable uh, plates for the retail area, whether it's napkins, silverware, surprisingly is one of the things that has a very high turnover rate. A lot of it gets thrown away or people keep it um, as a memorial to their hospital stay, you know, crazy things like that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then there, there's always chance, especially as we get into an account um, and start operating it over the course of the first year, there is usually an opportunity to look at labor and understand since we've been there operating it, how we can become more effective and more efficient. So all three of those areas, there's always things that we can do, things to look at based on the experience of our operators to be able to help reduce costs. 
And you you were talking earlier about Breadbox, our proprietary software, and how it, you know, talks to the kitchen and things. And they can they monitor inventory levels on product there as well when it, you know, integrates the recipe side and obviously the yes. food production side. Is that what clients utilize for, you know, purchasing a product? Yeah. So actually our teams do all the purchasing of products. So our teams are monitoring all of that, what they need for, based on the menus for the retail and for the patient services. But yes, the inventory module will tell us what's in stock and we plug the menu into Breadbox. It'll tell us what we have in stock and what we need to order to complete that menu. So it becomes a very efficient cycle once all those components are put in place. Helps cut down on waste, it sounds like, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, definitely. Because it'll tell you exactly what you need and all that fun stuff. Yep. Yep, it sure will. Well, obviously, there's you know just a lot that goes into not only just the patient ambassador side of things, but just the overall food service. But and kind of in summarizing this conversation, um, Dirk, I'm curious if you can just kind of cover some of the, the biggest takeaways you think that you know, you'd want to leave listeners with in terms of why the patient ambassador program is important, why you know, food from a patient perspective is so critical uh, for hospitals and for, for the patient experience. Yeah, sure. I think the, take- the big takeaways for me regarding patient ambassadors is, is as a patient is laying there in bed and they're being poked and prodded and, and maybe they don't know what's going on, they absolutely love to see a smiling face and a bubbly personality come in their room, talk to them for a couple of minutes, and then deliver food that they, they, they've been waiting all day to eat. Um, a lot of times that's the only control patients have in the hospital. And so it's something they look forward to and it's, it's really critically important to them. Uh, not only from a monotony breaker, but from a healing process as well. And so our our ambassadors provide that to them. And, and I think they are very well respected and very highly thought of by our patients and nursing teams across our line of business. And the takeaway regarding food, um, obviously, is critical for patients to be well-nourished uh, prior to being in the hospital, in the hospital, and when they leave. The truth of the matter is, what we do in food is critically important to that patient's successful healing process. You can have the best doctor in the world with the most advanced procedure, the most advanced gadget, the best medicine, but if your body is not nourished properly, it cannot heal itself from any of the the experts. So that proper nourishment that we provide really allows the technical expertise of doctors, nurses, pharmacists to be impacted in that person's healing process. So we have one of the most important jobs in the hospital, which is making sure that that our patients are are being well-fed, well-nourished, so that they can heal up. And without us, that doesn't happen. So the the service we provide, while, again, is is many times considered entry-level, is one of the most important jobs that anybody in that hospital has. It's a lot of stuff you don't think about. You know, yeah. I don't think most people, everyone knows you go to a hospital to eat, you know, you're going to get fed in a hospital, but I don't think most people really think about what it actually brings to the patient in addition to just the food side. Yeah. You know? I think that's a fair statement. <laughs> I think that's a yeah. fair statement. I also think that people have a very low expectation of hospital food. So when they walk in and they're patient and they get a cheeseburger and fries, they're like, man, this is not bad. This is pretty good. <laughs> So <laughs> this is like going to Whataburger. This yeah, right. 
Yeah. And most people are really surprised to find out that we have chefs in the hospital that actually are very talented, passionate, foodie people. So, you know, that's yeah. another aspect. Maybe that's another show. Yeah, no, yeah. that's great. <laughs> awesome. Well, Dirk, um, I'm just so grateful that you uh, gave us the time and, uh, you know, provide a lot of, a lot of insight here. I definitely learned a lot. So uh, thanks for cutting time on your day and, uh, and doing this with us. Awesome. Yeah, Thank you, John. It. Thank you, Amy. I appreciate the time to talk about our ambassadors and our food program and, and look forward to being on another podcast. Definitely. Sounds great. I think that like the theme this whole season and everybody we've talked to, you know, when we're talking about support services in a hospital, um, it's it's really refreshing to, to talk to these people and see just how passionate they are about all these other things in a hospital, right? Like when you're when you, th- you think about healthcare, just the average person, you're thinking about doctors and clinicians and nurses and needles and x-rays and all that stuff. But there's this whole other side, whether it's, you know, facilities or cleaning or food, you know, and and the fact that we have professional chefs that are passionate about that. They're, they're foodies, you know, and they love mm-hmm. good food and uh, they're passionate about you know, preparing really great food and providing really great service. And I think it's, it's just fun for me to hear, you know, someone that's passionate about something that, that is, um, on the periphery of probably a lot of people when they think about hospitals, but for them, it's their life. You know, this is what he's, he's so committed to. Um, and yeah, it was just cool to, to, to hear him kind of, um, dive into that and explain kind of kind of all the ins and outs of it so yeah i I loved it and it's all stuff like in the shadows i mean it's most people don't notice it it's all the behind the scenes so to speak you know it you know most times people don't even see what they're doing yeah i mean nobody sees their prep you know food prep in the kitchen or sees the facilities guy changing a light bulb or you know working in the boiler room and things like that but it's so critical and in you know an integral part of having a facility run and ultimately caring and healing for the patient yeah definitely Cool. Well, thanks to Dirk for for joining us today and bringing your expertise. We really um, enjoyed the conversation. And for everybody listening, um, thanks for joining us for the for the conversation, um, just about patient ambassadors and just the room service model and all, and all the food service that goes into to making a great patient experience at a hospital. Yeah. Th- thanks again, Dirk. We really appreciate it. And to you all listening, thanks for joining us. And hope it brings some added value to you as well. And be sure to follow us and tune in for our next episode with another healthcare leader, wherever you listen to your podcast. And for more tips in healthcare, be sure to follow the HHS blog at www.hhs1.com.